Good Victory Monday. This is a football show brought to you by Sinkers Beverages and the Kingston Group here on the 440 Sports Network. His name is Zach Lyons, and I am Braden Gall. And if you're celebrating like we are, jump in the comments and let us know. So, good to be here. Good to hang out. Lots of stuff to do today. In fact, I had so much fun over the weekend. I'm just going to show you what I did over the weekend. <laughs> Coming up in a little bit, you'll get to see that. Uh, courtesy of Bluegrass Beverages, of course, Sinkers Beverages, sister store in Hendersonville. Zach, good to see you, man. How are you? Doing pretty good. Uh, Titans put on a thrilling show, and they may not still be good, but at least they were exciting yesterday. Well, that is, first of all, that was what, what I like to call, and an old coworker of mine uh, used to used to use this phrase, and he used to call it beer games. And sometimes, like, I, I enjoy the stress and the drama of close football games, but every now and then you just want a beer game where you don't have to, you get up to get a beer and you don't have to worry about what happens. You can just drink your beer and have a good time, kick your feet up and enjoy it. And that's certainly what the Tennessee Titans did at Nissan Stadium on Sunday. The problem is we have no idea what's real and what's not with this football team. Their home road splits, Tim Kelly's offense, the trick plays, the AFC South, Mike Tober is in full effect, of course. Uh, how about some of the new pass catching weapons that made some plays on Sunday? Uh, special teams. There's so much to get to. The offensive line reinforcements are coming. Some big news breaking over the weekend uh, about the uh, eligibility of NPF. So we'll get to that. So a lot of stuff to discuss uh, today on the show. And of course, remember all of this presented to you by Sinkers Beverages and the Kingston Group. The Kingston Group, buildkg.com, Nashville's locally owned custom home and remodeling firm. If you're doing anything with your house, Zach, what do we do? We ask you to just. All you got to do is call. All you got to do is call. Just have a conversation. That's all you got to do. Give them a ring and they will help you out. I promise. Uh, again, I said award-winning, locally owned. Uh, they've been supporting Nashville businesses uh, throughout their their entire sort of existence. And so we support them. They support us. You should support them as well. And just keep that name uh, in mind if you need anything with your home. Sinkers Beverages. Uh, so Sinkers is, is our sponsor here on a football show. It is the reigning champion, best liquor store in Nashville, as voted on by you, the consumers in the Nashville scene last year. They're trying to defend that title currently. However, today's about bluegrass. Bluegrass beverages, 50th anniversary. They had a bourbon and tequila festival. And if you are a bourbon fan, I promise you it is worth driving up there and checking out what they've got. We'll show you a little bit later on, but I'm telling you, you're going to want to see what they've got. So just stay tuned for that. And we'll actually show you, not just tell you, but we'll show you what they got up there at Bluegrass Beverages. Been serving the Hendersonville market for 50, that's right, 50 years uh we've also got some historical stuff to talk about with derrick henry so that's always fun i i, I like to go back into my like eight-year-old 10-year-old 11-year-old self where i used to study record books and think it was the coolest thing in the world when a player broke a record a single game or a season or a career record so derrick henry of course doing some cool things for the tennessee titans and of course houston texans fans not happy about it on, on twitter <laughs> uh, earl's ours get your hands off earl <laughs> they're never happy about anything I told people on Twitter, I said, look, Earl, you're right. You're right to be upset that the city of Houston allowed Bud Adams to take the logos, the trademarks, the record book, and Earl Campbell with him when he left to come to Tennessee. But that's the way it is. Those are the facts. So there you go. Uh, and we'll see those powder blues coming up later on. Okay, just first in general, while it's unfolding, complete and total utter domination by the Tennessee Titans. And I, I don't love starting the show with a victory lap for you and I. But my God, did we tell you guys last week what the game plan should be? And I, I, I feel like they were actually listening to the show because it was, I don't know what the exact list was, but it was 
bring pressure on defense, maybe try some new stuff and be creative to pressure the quarterback. Check. Did that. Get some of those. Build the offense around Derrick Henry and the running game. Check. We did that. Get creative with some of those play callers. Check. Force feed NWI. I said that tongue in cheek on the show. But now I'm not kidding. Now we need to force feed NWI the rest of the season. Um, they just kept doing all the things that we sort of said, this is what we need to see. And most importantly for me, mental toughness, a rebound for Mike Vrabel's coached football team. As it's unfolding, Zach, what's going through your heads? Uh, I'm like, heads, multiple maybe heads. <laughs> there's a new home field advantage, I guess. Like... <laughs> They've the it's weird at home. They've scored 27 points now in each of their home games and have won. Uh, they purposely denied the masses 30 points, by the way. They could have kicked a field goal and they denied the masses. And no one has asked Mike Vrabel, why do you refuse to score 30 points? Someone man <laughs> up and ask him this week. You had a chance to score 30 points to break a long standing drought. Why did you choose not to do it? And they could have done it. But I, I called it at like 1.34 p.m. at halftime. I said, the Titans are going to go in. They are going to come out. They're going to score one field goal the rest of the game because they refused to score 30. <laughs> they really did. Maybe, maybe the symmetry of the 27-3 loss to Cleveland in, yeah. in, the, in the worst performance in basically Mike Vrabel's entire career, maybe 50 years in the franchise's history, and the 27 to 3 win in which they looked like they are the best football team I have seen in in again their their offensive uh this is just football reference one of many numbers we'll throw at you today over 18 expected points from the offense in terms of their their adjusted efficiency mm -hmm. according to pro football reference they they that's the highest since they beat Houston in 2021 so it's as it's as good as an it's offensive it's been football. a long time since that good of a team in all three phases has graced the two-tone blue like that that's been a while i would say that probably it feels like not since the days of 2020 have we seen a truly well i guess i would say the chiefs in 2021 was a truly dominating performance but it it's 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 hard to put into words because i still don't think this team is anything <laughs> but i do think this team can at least provide exciting football over the next course of the few weeks, if the offensive line holds up, if the defensive backs hold up, that to me is the biggest thing because I'm not worried about the offensive play calling. I'm not worried about the head coach. I'm technically not worried about the quarterback or the pass catchers or the running backs or the defensive line. I'm not really worried about anything except for two big things, and that is your offensive line and your def defensive backs and this was a week where everybody did their job admirably, even though I do think that I don't think Andre, I thought Andre Dillard looked pitiful in the run game at times. He, they, they had to pull Aaron Brewer back to help him. I mean, like at one point, I, th I can't remember what play it was, but I was just like, what is Aaron Brewer doing? Wait, where, why is he doing? This? Where is he coming from? Who pulls their center on a pass play? Who does? <laughs> they said that they said it was like he said it's like only three or four times. But I, I mean, I just you know I'm just like. And Enrique asks Zach, "Do you don't think the Titans win the division more?" Yeah, I've, I still think Titans win the division. Does that mean anything? No, it doesn't mean anything. It's a participation trophy for, at this point. So I've got a long list of things I want to ask you here <laughs> that are like, is this real? Is this not real? And we'll try to address each one of these things about 
the situation in general surrounding the Tennessee Titans and the roster and, and, and everything. One of them is there's only one division in all of football that does not have a team with a losing record, and that division is the AFC South. Is that a lie? You betcha. You betcha. <laughs> um, like, I saw people overreact to Anthony Richardson's game yesterday, which was a good game, but he's still a below 60% completion percentage. He has the lowest completion percentage over expected. That means that he is his completion percentage should be eight points higher and is lowest. Lower than DTR yesterday. It's the lowest over the season. Let me say something. This was the Anthony Richardson that we all thought. And Anthony Richardson will probably be really good in a few years, a la Josh Allen. But to go ahead and claim that he's the second best quarterback in the division, I think is a little silly and a little early. I, I he might be now, the he best. could be in the future. He might be and, the best. I, and I I don't I don't not disputing that, but I mean for the people who are very scared of Anthony Richardson, the the quarterback passing the passing quarterback, watch the actual entire games because I've gone back and watched the Anthony Richardson games because I do enjoy the quarterback. I I do think that he's very talented. He's still not very good. He's still very raw. He's still very inaccurate. And right now, the Tennessee Titans could probably take advantage of. It. I think they're getting Anthony Richardson at the right time. Obviously, of the schedule, C.J. Stroud. We're talking AFC South. C.J. Stroud looking really, really good. But I don't know if he's played anybody that is really, really good. And I I do think that he's doing stuff. Some of this stuff, I just, I have to see more. Like, I don't believe the Trevor Lawrence with one of the lowest EPAs per play is that guy. I mean, yesterday during the Jaguars game, he was like 18 average depth of target on plays when he was pressured. And then like 3.4 or 5.4 on plays that he's not pressured. So like, yeah. they're, they're, I, I don't I, know. I, None of this is real. I can tell you one thing. I still think the Titans are the best team in the division. I think it's very, so this goes to Jason McDonald's point. He says, it feels like we're not allowed to be optimistic, only surprised. And I would actually go the other way with that in sort of a weird twist. And this is sort of my takeaway because I think, I, I think I started on Thursday show by saying, look, I've seen a ton of teams that are bad at the beginning grow and develop and become pretty solid football teams, varying degrees of success at the end of the year and vice versa. We've seen teams start out four and one, five and one, and then just poop their way to the end of the season. We, you just don't know what a team is until you kind of get the entire body of work. And so what we're trying to figure out today is sort of what have we, because I have never seen a Titans team with the, the, the disparities of production and efficiency Ooh, down. That, that they have played in the two road games and the two home games. And it, the simplest, most laziest, way to say this and it's not it's not untrue it's true but it's not the entire picture and that is home and road in the nfl the nfl is an up and down week from week to week you can be very good one week and very bad the next miami is, and buffalo is like one of now everybody's crowning buffalo suddenly the best team in the nfl where where was this when last week when everybody yeah. said miami was the best team in the nfl and like for and again, like no Jalen Waddle, seventy points record, almost eight hundred yards. The next week with Waddle can't beat Buffalo. I, I just think that's the nature of the sport. But that's sort of a late, nature. The AFC for sure. The AFC is a. I can't tell if the, if every team is really good, so everything looks worse than what it is, or if just the AFC was a little overrated. Probably a little bit of both. 
Maybe I mean the truth is almost always sort of in the middle. And I, while I, as a football fan, I am excited about the quarterback play in the AFC South. I can't, especially if Levis is the guy next year. I can't wait to watch it all unfold for the next ten years. I think that's going to be a really fun thing for football fans in general. But I just don't like th- those are two very simple, easy answers, and they are part of the equation. But I think there's way more to. Mike Vrabel and Tim Kelly in particular, their job is to level this sucker out. Like they, they've got to mm-hmm. figure out how to. So to Jason's point, I, I think it's okay for fans to be optimistic. I never really said, I, I mean, I had my concerns about how they were playing, but I, I, I've always said, look, let's, let's see. It's not time to jump ship. It's not time to do this. It's not time to do that. Maybe next week is maybe the week after is, but for now they're two and two. They're sort of on track. The division is winnable. I think it's okay to be optimistic about the good things you have seen from this Tennessee Titans team. And I think it's okay to have questions about the bad things. And I think you should not be surprised at anything. <laughs> like <laughs> right, literally, right. literally anything can happen. This is the point of the NFL. Is that and it's also one- like, what do you want to be optimistic about? Or do you just want to be optimistic that the season will at least be interesting? Cause I think that's a, that's perfectly acceptable to be optimistic. It may not look great every week. Maybe it's interesting and, the fact that, oh, man, they look really awesome. Oh, man, who is this team? How did this team beat the Bengals, you know, like right. every week? But if you want to be optimistic about the Super Bowl, I'm not going to tell you not to. I would just advise heavily against it. Yes, I, I agree. And uh, I part like, for example, I picked the Lions, the Ravens and the Bills to win their division. I'm not I'm, I'm not going to change those picks until like like, for example, OK, I'm going to use a college football reference just because there's only one thing that I've really sort of truly changed my opinion on this early in either NFL or college season. I picked Illinois to win the Big Ten West. I'm changing that opinion that that is not what I think anymore. I don't think they're going to win the West. I think they're much worse than I expected. They have major problems, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I feel like I've learned enough to make a decision and change my mind. Even in the SEC, I, I've got Georgia one. Kentucky two, Tennessee three, or vice versa, like haven't changed through five weeks. I'm still kind of steady on that. In the West, Alabama one, LSU two, A&M three. Still feel like that's a possibility. So I'm just not, like I I kind of am more hesitant to overreact in one moment, which is why we're going to go through this list and sort of say, all right, what do we think we should be reacting to? Because I, I listen, that was as fun a game if you were in the stadium or watching at home that is the kind of game you are a football fan to be. <laughs> I I exited I exited out yesterday. I said, you know, when everything is clicking, when everybody's doing their jobs, this sure is a fun team to watch. The problem is that week at week in and week out, you can't rely on some of these people to do their job every week. Okay. So I wanna we're gonna go through this list here of awesome stuff and some stuff that maybe we don't believe is true. And we're gonna get to all of this. However, before we do. I'm going to make you wait because I had a chance to go up to Bluegrass Beverages, sponsor of football and other efforts, sister store to Sinker's Beverages. And they have they had a bourbon and tequila festival out there in the parking lot. They had a food truck with some of the best ribs and, frankly, spicy cabbage I have ever had. Shout out to Andres. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Andres for that. Delicious ribs. Uh, they had the whole table set up, a bunch of vendors. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, really good stuff available right now. So go check out Bluegrass Sinker's as well. But I'll just show you what they've got available. So this is what I did on Saturday at Bluegrass. So this is the Bluegrass 73. This is the barrel pick for Bluegrass beverages. You can only get it here. 125.6 proof. Whoa. You won't won't know that. You ought to light you up. 
You think it will. Let's see how tough you are. So to commemorate uh, Bluegrass' 50th anniversary, they picked a special single barrel from Southern Collective. So this is a Kentucky bleeded bourbon from O.C. Tyler. So five years of age, 120 proof. So there's a limited edition, only 50, 50 bottles to commemorate the 50th anniversary. And this it's, it's super tasty. So the bleeded bourbon is going to be a smooth. Let's give it a try. See that? There we go. All right. Cheers. This is Blue Note out of Memphis, Tennessee. This is Crossroads. This is probably my favorite out of the line. This is finished in toasted French oak barrels. Secondary finishing from Central Loire Valley in France. Hunter proof. Come to Bluegrass to check it out. This is uncut, unfiltered Bluegrass. Number seven whiskey of the world from Whiskey Advocate last year. Come by Bluegrass to check it out. Look at that. There we go. Cheers. This is Wild Turkey's Rare Breed uh, Barrel Strength Bourbon. It is a blend of uh, six, eight, and 12 year bourbons. It's got some meat, but it doesn't overwhelm. Cheers. Look at that. There we go. Yeah, there you have it. Uh, I didn't have any fun. Didn't have any fun no fun at all. Uh, so, by the way, just quickly note there: the Blue Note only, or no, excuse me, the Southern only fifty bottles of that available at Bluegrass. They are numbered, and it is delicious. I absolutely recommend go check that out. And then I, the Heaven's Door, by the way, I, I'm not sure if she was show, sober, but uh, <laughs> she she did a great job. That that's a 73 uh, 50 year anniversary bottle. Uh, I got a couple of those. I picked up one for myself, one for my dad. Uh, it is 126 proof. It Ooh. is dull, but so smooth. So that's one of those where you do one little cube or one big cube. You want it to, you know, you want it to blossom in the glass there, Zach, I think is is the, the bougie way of talking about it. So go check out Bluegrass. Again, the reason not only do they have great selection, same as Sinkers, they do stuff like this for their community. They they It was totally free. Every single person drank it was all packed. that. It was more packed. I well... I don't know how what it looked like really behind us uh, during the the beer thing, but it looked more packed than what the beer the beer festival was. It, it was it was a lot of people, and they were all drinking for free. So this is what Bluegrass does for the community, and what Sinkers does for the community as well. Buildkg.com for Kingston Group. So there you go. We appreciate our sponsors. You guys support local business. Okay, all right. Uh, Mike Tober, which is ours now. Uh, it's officially ours. Because he's now 11 and two. And I think what this really means to me in this particular game is what I said earlier. This was a, a backs against the wall, cliche, cliche, mental toughness. Cincinnati has your number. You just played Man, the worst. I tell you, you've said Mike Tober, you know, this the several times during this podcast. And I, I keep thinking about Mike. It sounds like you're saying Mike Tolbert. And I'm like, <laughs> is that the referee? But that, no, isn't that the, the former, LA Chargers running it's the, back? It's the former Chargers. <laughs> uh, former Mike, Chargers. Mike Tober. Mike Tober. Okay. Mike Tober. Mike Tober. He is now 11 and 2, the best record in the NFL the last three and three years and this season. And to me, that was a classic. It reminded me of the Chiefs game when they beat the hell out of Patrick Mahomes. The scheme was sound on both sides. And to me, Mike Tober is very, very real. And I think that's the number one takeaway is that this team mentally was offended by what it saw from its own performance against Cleveland and said, enough is enough. Three straight against the Bengals. We're at home. We've got to play better football. And I think the the mental side of this really, I think, showed that the coaching staff did their job this week. Yeah, the uh, I, I would say I agree with you. And I think that both the players and the coaches kind of gave each other props. If you listen to Mike Vrabel's press conferences on um, yesterday on Sunday and today on Monday, 
and you listen to what Aaron Brewer and Amani Hooker said in the pressers press conferences on Monday, PK has been trying to, I don't know, like assign, assign blame. Isn't the issue, I guess, isn't the right word, but assign contributions to, is it the players, is it the coaches, but really what he's, and maybe this is really what he's getting at is that it's a contribution. The coaches are putting together the game plan and the players are executing them and both things have to happen, which mm -hmm. is, kind of a like a simple way to put like it's kind of like duh i mean you got to execute the plays but, but look at matt canada right like they're trying to execute the plays that matt canada over in the steelers or press taylor over the jaguars and it doesn't look very good right like i would say so some me, of that is matt canada's fault yeah well that's what i'm saying is that like the, the players are executing but matt canada's game plan yeah. is awful and then sometimes you get really great game plans and you got like greg maben going out there and covering tyree kill <laughs> and he's still got to do it but that's still a pretty good game plan by mike Vrabel. so when everything is clicking this team can beat any team in the nfl it's just that not everything's clicking and i and i said last week now to me the the truth is this coaching staff is good that's just where I'm at. I think this coaching staff is good. Is it infall infallible? No, it's not an infallible coaching staff. Human error. Browns game, perfect example of just preparing for the wrong team. I mean, that's just what it felt like. You're watching them that they prepared for a totally different team than the Browns. But this team goes toe-to-toe, -to -toe, and that has been the Mike Vrabel way all his whole career. Sometimes he has these weird games that makes you question – what he's doing, what he's thinking, what this staff was right. consisted of. And other games, he comes out and bends someone over and that he probably shouldn't have. But we've seen it with the 49ers. We've seen it with the Rams. We've seen it with the Chiefs. Seen it with so many people over the years. That's why I kind of said, like, everybody's kind of like, well, the I don't think this Mike Vrabel mystique is there anymore. The Bengals are going to come in and whoop their ass and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, I don't know if it's going to be a ass whooping on either way. But I think Mike Vrabel's going to win. And I called myself an idiot at the end of F. Like, look at this fucking moron predict talking bad about the Tennessee Titans for 15 minutes and at the very end going, Titans win. Because <laughs> that's yeah, what Mike. I, I, I agree. And I think the truth is, my, my, I don't think we kind of need to discuss much more of the Mike Vrabel truth. I mean, I think he's got a body of work. I think Tim Kelly is the discussion point here for me, which is that through four games, I think we can, we can definitively say that whether it's pre-game preparation and installation, whether it is when to pull, because the trick plays are not just about the design, it's about the timing. And Tannehill didn't execute another one. He missed DeAndre Hopkins in what should have been a completion, but a very, okay. hang on. Can I say hang something on, about that play, on, though? I'm not done yeah. yet. Hang on. Yeah. It, it, so I think it's, whether it's getting the young, getting the pieces involved the way we want to see them involved, whether it's building a game plan around a running back that we, all felt that he needed to do whether it's again timing and execution and design it's design and timing that's what that's what makes a great play caller and he has put all of his players whether it's the offensive line the receivers the quarterback the running back the tight ends it doesn't matter he has put all of them in a position to be successful with his execution with his sorry with his design and his timing those are the two most important things with a play caller and he has done it basically all four games it's the only yeah. thing that I've seen all four games that looks consistent, certainly mm -hmm. a dip in the Cleveland game, but it wasn't Tim Kelly's fault. They lost to the Saints. No. That was Tannehill and the offensive line's bad on all four of these games, <laughs> but yeah, 
but could be Le- getting better. Less, less terrible is a good way to describe them yesterday. Yeah, yes, less terrible. So to me, if you're asking me what's the most important truth that is real about this team that we have learned through four weeks is that Tim Kelly design and timing check, check all the way across the board for me. Yes, fully agree. And my my complaint with that play is that you're not going to see it live and probably not on the all 22, but if there was a, there was a slow motion shot on the broadcast where Deandre Hopkins is running balls in the air and he has like a little hitch, like, like he pulled up a little bit or maybe like he had a little spasm in his leg or something like you can, you could see it. You can see it in the slow motion and it was the quarterback view almost like you, you, it's ground view and you can kind of see it. And that's why he barely missed. And a lot of people think that Tannehill missed. The ball's already in the air. Something happened, and I don't know what it was. And I'm not saying, like, it has to be someone's fault or anything. It's just a play that didn't connect on. Because I do want to talk about what the signals. I'm just saying, for those that think that it's all on Tannehill, there's something that happened that caused him to pull up or slow down that, whether it was physical or something that he saw and thought, I don't know. But something happened. But what this is, we have not seen a true DeAndre Hopkins deep shot yet. Now all the deep defenses are going to have to wonder, okay, well, if it's not Chris Moore going deep, could DeAndre Hopkins go deep? And DeAndre Hopkins had his man beat. Go, maybe Traylon Burks is going to go deep. Could it be NWI going deep? The, the, the way, that's something that now is on film that even though they didn't connect, will have ramifications for defenses going on. They have to pay attention now. Not only is it DeAndre Hopkins leading the league on third downs, converted into first downs and all that kind of stuff. Well, now he's going to go deep. Well, holy crap. What are we going to do? (laughs) Well, and, and, and Tannehill was excellent in, in the execution on that third and seven to Hopkins. Yes. That goes for about 38 yards where he, he makes sure the safety, he pulls the, the, the safety to the, to the left side of the field for the entire first part of the drop back and then plants and delivers to, to Hopkins in a critical game. Again, the game was starting to get out of hand at that point already, but I, I want to go to the, like the there's varying degrees of trickeration that, that Tim Kelly is deploying here. And I want to mm-hmm. sort of lump them all together. Like, I, I don't want to say a, I love the play call by the way, with Simmons and like, Oh yeah, yeah we'll get to, yeah, we only discussed the only discussion we had was yeah, we're going to run it. <laughs> I, right. And I, I want to get to, I want to get to that because I love, there's a there's a mindset and a trust in his own design to go back to it. Also, it's because the design of the play, and now we're already in there, but we'll, we'll hang on a second. I want to lump all of the sort of, because I, I think the Tajay Spears wheel route against New Orleans, where he's completely wide open and would have won the game if Tannehill just makes a normal quarterback throw, mm-hmm. like a normal professional throw. The, the, Chig, the, other, the Chig throw is open too, and he missed that one, but, but they ran that wildcat. I'm going to kind of lump trick plays and sort of super extra creative designs and gimmicky stuff sort of all into one bucket and just say from the start of the season till, till Sunday, there's, I I can't remember one that really didn't work well. That includes the Derrick Henry jump pass. Sure. The wild, the wildcat or Derrick Henry with the snap against the saints only got like three yards, but like the design seemed pretty sound there to me. I, and I'm going to include things like even NWI coming in motion and then going in, under in the backfield on the route. He ran his route through the backfield and then out into the flat. Like that's not trick play, 
but it's sort of a it's this really extra creative way to get a guy that you know exactly what he can do into a place where he can make the play that he's capable of making. And that is to me that part of his game plan has been extraordinary. Well, you know, it's it's only they only use, everybody thinks they went crazy using play action yesterday, but they only use play action on 32%, which we know is the magic number for Ryan Tannehill. Play actions and wins is typically 32% use or 30 plus percent usage. But he's also employing motion, which is points earned per play on plays with motion is 0.197. Without it, it's minus 0.144. And he's going to have to use more motion, but he's using lots of motion. The uh, out of the last three years, it's the second most out of the last three years of motion. And we're not, we're not that far in like to me, this whole thing, and we've talked about the timing, we talked about they're getting back to using what Ryan Tannehill is good at. Play action, using motion to re- help him read the defenses. The only thing truly missing is the offensive line. Like the, If you had the 2020 offensive line or the 2019 offensive line on this team, you'd be looking at some staggering numbers, staggeringly so, different numbers. So D good says more O-line talk. We'll get to that in a second. Trust us. Yeah. There's going to be plenty of O-line talk. Um, so I think Ke- Tim Kelly by and large, and we can get to quickly the, the Simmons. He's play, the truth. I, no he, doubt. He, there's it's no true. question. There's no question. What I liked about the play. And again, this is what makes the design and the timing. So important here. The design of that play is very obviously to get everyone thinking Jeffrey Simmons is lead blocking for Derrick Henry. That's pretty mm-hmm. obvious. But when you line up that way and the defense calls timeout, what makes the play great is that you could run either thing. You could come back to the line of scrimmage in the exact same formation, do the exact same pre-snap motion, and the defense still doesn't know, do we have to sell out and stop Derrick Henry on a on a, on a a Wildcat sweep? Or do we have to keep an eye on Josh Wiley backside? And it's it such a make... great picture of him throwing the ball, too. It's like one of the best pitchers. Well, and he, like, I, he looks, the like, he looks like a shortstop. Like, yeah. <laughs> he's kind of got... It's, it's great. But what made that... so. Confidence to call it, the confidence to go back to it, and the trust in the design that no matter what, there are two or three things they have to defend off this play, even if they know it's coming, and they knew it was coming and didn't stop it. Yeah, it's it's everything that they are doing, because I wrote about it today when talking about some of the players that they are, they're hopefully getting back, they could potentially get back, because I mean, pretty much everybody from Traylon Burks, Kyle Phillips, Peter Skaronsky, and NPF all have some form of uh, chance, some some semblance of chance to actually contribute to this team next week. Maybe not all of them get there. They're not all ready, but they, I mean, they're going to be, they're pretty close. They're coming back soon, but like not including yesterday because the stuff's not out for on SIS, Porn Info Solutions, but for the first three weeks, 77.8% three wide receivers sets. That is insanely high for this team. That is super high. And and Z Dean is is right. You know, yeah. it all seems like they're running more out of shotgun. They're they're doing a lot out of shotgun. They're doing a lot out of empty sets or or whatever. They're doing a lot with motion. Yep. This offense is creative and keeps you on your toes if you're a defense. And I don't know if we want to go ahead and get into it, but it's again, if the offensive line Yeah, it's holds- time. It's time. It's time. We'll get to the defensive line, the pressure. uh, Unless you want to ask one more thing, because I think this is the thing that maybe isn't the truth yet. And I just need to know as 
you know, NWI's number one fan here. Uh, five catches, 51 yards, and a touchdown. Quickly, some numbers for you guys, just for fun. Um, 51 yards this week, 58 yards in week one against the Saints. Those are his sixth and eighth best career yardage days in his entire career. He's only scored a touchdown in eight games. Two of those were this year. Five receptions on Sunday. Is he the only wide receiver with a touchdown? Yep. Uh, okay. uh, uh, <laughs> five receptions yesterday, tied for number two all-time in the history of his career. And it's and he wasn't just a backup filling in and catching a pass on third and 20 for seven yards. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of garbage fantasy points out there for players that are that are looking for, all right, I, I, oh, I caught a pass. Jamar Chase caught a pass on, you know, third and 16, and he picked up eight yards. Okay, that was a nice one point for my fantasy team. They schemed NWI open in the red zone to throw him the football. They did. He had, I think, ra- roughly around four point three average yards of separation. They, they, I mean, he was it's, wide it's open. Ridiculous. The, he was wide open against the Saints the entire game because of Kelly's scheme. He was. He, they threw him the football on the goal line against the Chargers. They are throwing him the ball because he's right where he's supposed to be at all times. <laughs> yeah. By the way, speaking of the Jeffrey Simmons play, I um. I liked how he waved to the crowd. I don't know if you know anybody else noticed this, but like he comes out and he's just like waving to the crowd like this. And then they call timeout and then he continues to wave back to the crowd while he's going to the huddle. I don't, I, I guess he just wants the adoration of his fans as like a, uh, someone going down on the parade, you know, Miss America style, just waving at everybody is yep. yep. just, just, so, just funny. I'm curious about the, you know, Josh Wiley getting involved on the seam pass from Ryan Tannehill and then, of course, catching his first touchdown. So truth or or sort of lie here on the depth of the weaponry being able to, to like, again, I, I say all that about NWI because I yeah. really like the guy personally. I think he's a good football player. I don't think he's great. I don't think he's great, but I think he's a good football player. I don't know why the fan base doesn't appreciate how consistent he is at all times in everything that he does. And I guess my question about truth or lie is just what's real is how many of these pieces actually are because like Traylon Burks is there's questions about his health and and production. Chig has sort of kind of just been a guy so far. He made us some good contested catches yesterday. He, he did. So it, what, it, what, it's what weird. Your... Like it feels like Chig is just a guy except for when the ball's actually in his hands. Then he feels like it's the he's a monster. But like. I think this is the problem with the, the the style of football that they are going to play. They're going to spread the ball around. If that that may not be your thing, maybe everybody thinks you have to force feed. You have to force feed. Just run DeAndre Hopkins and Traylon Burks every play. Those are your best guys. Feed them two and chick. But what's what you're seeing and why NWI is open, why Chris Moore is open, is because the defense does not expect them, right? Like. That is the point of a, a spread style offense is to get people in good situations that you could take advantage of as a quarterback. And that's what they're kind of yep. doing. And it may not be like the most exciting fantasy football week for you every week or something like that. But at some I, point you have to say winning is better than fantasy football. I, I, I don't know how you can't say yesterday wasn't as from a pure entertainment standpoint. I don't know how. Yesterday I mean, I was like, was not Lord, Lauren goes, did they win? And I go, yeah. And she goes, you don't seem like they won. I was like, because I'm just kind of in, in, in shock and awe. <laughs> I just was, don't it was, I don't understand what I just watched. It was it was fun. Yeah. Uh, Marcus Marcus said, wouldn't NWI's touchdown be a Burks route, though? The answer is probably yes on that particular play. 
where he is brought underneath, basically behind the line of scrimmage after the snap. Well, the difference is NWI actually catches balls during his way. <laughs> that's that's a that's a valid argument. I, I my point is, that Marcus, I agree with you. My point is, is that they trust him enough to go in and play that role and then scheme the play around him. And so while that would have been Burks, if Burks is healthy, sure, they don't feel like there's they can still run that play with NWI is what is kind of what my point is, is that they don't have they don't fear the drop off in that situation. And Ed said they may just have too many weapons. Wait a second. Did I just say that? I, I'm not ready to go there yet. This is why I don't think it's a truth just yet. I think they have um, a lot of NFL average weapons, and sometimes the yeah. some of the parts is better than right, yeah, some of the parts and all that jazz. Greater greater than the whole. Yeah. Yeah. The greater than the whole. Uh I think Henry and Spears are legit. I think they're gonna be I, I still, you know, Wiley, don't go don't go adding Josh Wiley to your fantasy team just yet. Okay? No, no, but I, I will say this. A lot of people said that uh I think it was Robbie and Rexford this morning said they didn't really or no, it was Easton and JT. Uh, they said that uh, they felt that Josh Wiley didn't really have a place on this team. His skill set didn't really match with what the team needed. And I'm thinking, well, I feel quite the opposite. He's a good blocker and he's a good pass catcher. This team needed a guy that could do both. Do they have a six-five guy who can work the seam? Because that's that's the only play, the only player. He's like six-seven, right? He's the only guy that can work the seam on that route that Ryan Tannehill threw to him. There is no other. T- Even Chig, I'm not sure, can run that route because that that requires a large, big body to sprint down the field. You know, on a, in a straight line there. So, uh, okay, um, all right. Quickly on the off, let's get to the offensive line because we got a lot of stuff to still to cover. I want to talk about the blitz packages, the secondary, special teams. Uh, all kinds of stuff, but uh, on the offensive line, there is, if, if you missed this, of course, the NFL changing its rules, um, four-game suspension, now basically time served for MPF, Jamison Williams as well for Detroit, the two big ones. MPF will be back in the facility, I believe, as of today on Monday, and is eligible to play on Sunday. Well, he was back in the facility last week. He was able to already right. be in the facility last week, but so, now he's able to actually practice. On the practice field. So, uh, first, your takeaway from the offensive line performance on Sunday and whether or not you are buying, you know, if Skaronsky is back and NPF is back, do, how long before we know if those are the answers that you need? It, we still have a lot of debate on what the pieces are going to look like at left tackle or right tackle. Um, just in general, what you saw on Sunday and then now that NPF is back. Um, I thought that, I feel like PFF kind of got this week wrong. Whoever the intern is that's very underpaid that watches these games, uh, they got two things wrong. They 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 put Andre Dillard as having a pretty good game, and I don't necessarily feel that the tape reflected that. And then they have the pass rush only getting 10 pressures, and I definitely don't feel like that accurately is reflected on tape. And uh, none of those came from like Aziz as Shair or any anything like that. And maybe maybe with penalties, they don't even count those pressures if there's a penalty, which I think is kind of not fair because they still won their rep. But maybe that's just what they do. I don't I don't know. But I feel like I feel like this this team, the offensive line is hanging on by a thread, and that some of these guys are just floating on a raft needing you know barely clinging on like i don't think that andre dillard or chris hubbard are long for this team and i don't think he should be a lot of people oh my gosh i cannot tell you i don't understand why everybody hates npf i don't know what he has said in a press conference i feel like there's only like five people that appreciate that think that npf can actually rebound near two i think i think it's me and you and maybe like 
three or four other people. I've How always I've always thought Herndon was a little uh, negative. He's a yeah, little negative, he's, Nancy. He's totally negative, and he totally throws out nuance and context when he suits when it suits him. <laughs> and all of his little minions and followers have followed suit and don't use nuance context. Chris Hubbard is having a worse season for blown blocks than NPF did had all last year, and that's through three games. And Chris Hubbard had his worst game arguably yesterday. And he is a 30-year-old journeyman. I do not believe that Chris Hubbard has played good enough to keep keep NPF on the bench. Now, hmm. if Andre Dillard has pay, played bad enough to put NPF at left tackle, <laughs> that is something different. That's entirely I, different. I think but, that's an I think that's an important difference to note. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but Chris Hubbard has more blown blocks in overall in the passing game and in the run game by a pretty wide margin in all three categories. And he also is having help up until we will know more tomorrow where that this number is at, but he has had help 45% of the time on pass blocks, 45% of the time. When we all know that Chris, that Andre Dillard needs a hundred percent help. <laughs> he is getting 45, but he's eating a large chunk of it. But that is to say by Mike's own admission, MPF didn't get a lot of help because of Dennis Daly existing last year. Mm -hmm. So not only is Chris Hubbard getting more help and having worse and more blown blocks at a higher rate than NPF did, he's getting more help doing it. And like to me, it's year two. NPF came in looking really felt. He looked really good. I mean, he yep. looked in shape. Yep. Last yep. year, he was a rookie who looked terribly out of shape and out of his element. I, and just... that. And he hit a rookie wall. So to me, this Chris Hubbard hype is overblown, and you guys are fooling yourselves that this is a long-term solution for 17 games, and NPF should not get the starting job back. Whether he gets that back this week, next week, I don't know. But NPF is going to have a starting spot on this offensive line. Peter Skaronsky will, too. That means someone is left out in the cold. I don't know if that's Hubbard, Dillard. I don't know. Maybe it's Raidens. But to me, your best five is still in wherever you want to put them. Skaronsky, it is Dil uh, Radins, it is Brewer, it is Brunskill, and it is MPF. I don't think there is any argument to be made that anybody else is better than those five. I, I tend to agree, and I can't remember. I apologize. I don't remember who said this in the comments about um, about the offensive line or the schedule. Excuse me, the schedule. Uh, Aving said this, Titans have played a way harder schedule than the rest of the AFC South. Look at the Jags' cupcake schedule so far. And we've talked about this a lot that the first five or six games of this schedule are extremely difficult, especially for an offensive line. And so I think there's a lot of reason for it. Again, don't be surprised by anything. And if you want to be a little optimistic, that's fine. But right now you're going to get in, in the last, in, in like in the last couple of weeks, you will have added Dylan Radens, You will have added NPF and you'll have gotten Skaronsky back. And I think, I will push back on the Hubbard moving him off that spot for now. I don't think he's a long-term answer, but I think there is some value in the fact that Brewer and Brunskill and Hubbard have played every, basically every snap essentially together. And I think having those three set and together and working fine. And even if you know, you need to help on this percentage of snaps, you kind of know what it is. And then you let NPF Raiden's, and Dillard battle it out for whoever you think is left tackle. And then whoever loses that job, maybe then becomes a challenger back on the Hubbard side of things on the right side of things. But I think at least you have a known commodity with Brewer, Brunskill and Hubbard. And I think you kind of, 
at least you can write down on paper what that is when you're pre- when you're preparing your game plan. And clearly, Tim Kelly knows. And so, to me, I, MPF, I, I I agree. I think people are too hard on him. I also don't think he's ready to be a star. But I think this is a this. I like guys with pedigree. Peter Skaronsky was a five-star recruit, number one offensive lineman, interior offensive lineman coming out of high school, went to Northwestern and, and proved that that's who he was by being the number one guard drafted in the NFL draft and starting right away from day one. MPF was the number one tackle coming out of high school, went to Ohio State, was very good at Ohio State, didn't always live up to the hype, but the talent is obvious. He came in prepared and in better shape. I think him and Raidens are clearly better than what they've got. And I would argue more, far more than Hubbard Dillard is the piece that I want to move mm. and change uh, far more than Chris Hubbard. Uh, you can scheme around the right tackle. Tannehill can see it during dropbacks. I, I just think uh, Dillard to me is the far bigger issue. And so if you've got assets, you need to put those assets on the left side and figure it out I, first. I, I fully you go back agree. To the right. I fully agree. Now, the the pro the thing is about the right side is that okay if you put Chris if you put MPF out there and you let him and he doesn't need his handheld like Chris Hubbard does you know it needs a lot of help that means that you are free to run different plays and more plays right because now you don't have to have an extra blocker in to help the right tackle but they gotta find right now. Whatever you, if you watched that game and thought that Andre Dillard played a good game, <laughs> throw that advanced stat out. Don't throw, bring it to me. Even though I put up advanced stats, it does not match what actually happened, right? Like it does yeah. not match what happened. And there are plays in the run game where he is downfield, the run plays to his side, and he's downfield. And he's not even blocking the guy in front of him. He's just kind of standing there, just like, hmm. I'm just going to stand here. Sometimes like it's with his hands on his hips and stuff. And I'm just like, this guy's the one thing that you could hang his, your hat on was that Andre Dillard was really good in the run game these first few weeks, which he wasn't supposed to be. Now it seems like he's regressing in that too, which is a bad sign right now. I just feel like I don't know if they're going to do anything, what they're going to do, when they're going to do it, blah, blah, blah. I don't know anything about this offensive line other than Andre Dillard is not very good. And I don't have faith that yeah. Andre Dillard is going to be better than any of the people that could uh, technically take his spot on that offensive line. And I, until they get this Andre Dillard thing situated, this offense is going to have major ups and downs and major major peaks and valleys. I, I, peaks and valleys, ups and downs is exactly right. You can ask yourself what's real, what's not, what's the truth, and what's a lie about this team in general. Uh, because of the the varying disparity in performance and the two losses and the two wins, I think you can also just say this is this is potentially who they are going to be because through two electric, offensive, efficient performances against also a very important note, two probable AFC wildcard teams that you now have you now have tiebreakers against, and then two just god awful performances. We've seen everything, and the offensive line has largely been equally bad through all of them, and so I think to say that Tim Kelly's done an excellent job and so-and-so's doing this and they're doing that. And this guy's looks good. I think that we're kind of going to have this kind of team this year. It's going to be up and down. It's going to be good and bad. I think they're about 500. I think we're starting to see that this is what it's going to look like through all of that. The offensive line, I still think can only get slightly better. I don't know if it can get much worse, barring a major, a major injury because you're adding pieces every, almost every week now um, Mm -hmm. in terms of just, 
Now, again, maybe none of them are good enough. Maybe none of them are good enough to be your starting left tackle long-term or right tackle or whatever, but... Uh, an upgrade think, is an upgrade, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. Even and if like, you go, and everybody's an upgrade over Andre Dillard. So an yeah. upgrade is an upgrade. Dillard's the only one that right now I would say, I think it's it's pretty close to time to try something new. And oh, by the way, you've got your starting right tackle coming back into the into the practice mm-hmm. field this week. I think it's I think it's probably time. Um quickly. So I, I think so I think the offensive line is it's true that they suck. <laughs> uh that's not a lie. All right, quickly. How much defensive pressure do you expect to see the rest of the season? I think that was a bit of a lie. I think that was a little mm-hmm. un- you got about un- the blitzing, right? The blitz, the blitzing, yeah. and the pressure because I think they knew Joe Burrow was a statue, and I knew that they think they knew they could attack, and I think they were desperate, and so I think they sort of pulled out all the stops, like we said they should, and get get creative and blitz Joe Burrow. They did it; it worked. They beat his ass up from the beginning of the game the entire time. I don't think that's the thing they want to do week in and week out moving forward. So I think that one's a bit yeah. of a misnomer. Yeah, the the, the blitzing, the sending the extra rushers and the exotic and what they've done and like they they pulled like an old NFL blitz and gauge eight uh, blitz at one point. That's not going to happen um, every week. And I and I agree with you. I think that's a lie. It was surprisingly and uh, a good thing. It's a good surprise to see that they they were able to do that and it, it worked and it worked effectively, but. That's not something you necessarily want to do versus Anthony Richardson or Lamar Jackson, who are your opponents the next two weeks, because yeah. they are not statues, and you they have shown a tendency to miss tackles. So um, I saw would that, not, we saw that problem against Cleveland. <laughs> yeah, so I would not. I would expect there's a little bit more contain, a little bit less pressure or extra pressure added. They'll, they'll, they'll stick with the old adage of we got to get there with four on those kinds of guys. And then maybe like when, if Kenny Pickett is the quarterback or uh, maybe Baker Mayfield, just a little bit, you know, those guys, you'll see that pressure and blitz pick back up. I, th- I think it's just going to be a week to week thing. You know, Deshaun Watson, you thought you wanted to blitz to see more blitz and they got a lot of pressure on them, but they didn't close the, they didn't finish the deal. Right. They didn't seal the deal right, right. with the, with that. So it'll be interesting to see, but I do agree. That's the lie. Uh, so I think that's I think that's absolutely a lie. I'm you know I I am curious about the secondary and what you thought about their performance. I I thought all of it hinged on it felt very like uh, Spagnola ish. You know the the amount yeah. of times they were blitzing, whether that you know the the Giants do this too, the Chiefs do it. Like you're just gonna bring guys and kind of reminded me of the uh, the undefeated thirteen and O Titans team. Like the the secondary wasn't as good as what everybody yeah. thought because the pass rush was just so tremendous. Yeah, and Tra- Travis uh, Gibson, by the way, the broadcast teams, Titans don't always get great broadcast teams. That's just sort of known. The broadcast team at one point got Kevin Byard's name wrong. Uh, Kevin Byard, they called him. Such a I, such a I, hard name. It's five. Well, you know, those, he, those he did six letters, really, or was it five letters? No, no, they, they got the Kevin yeah. wrong, not the Byard. Normally, you hear him get the Byard part wrong, but they got oh, well, the Kevin, they got part the Kevin wrong. wrong. He said the Kevin that. wrong. I think he said Keith Byard. Keith Byers, I guess, maybe was in his head. And then he corrected it very quickly thereafter. Uh, but when the bro- the reason I say all of that is that even the broadcast team was like, yeah, Travis Gibson's clearly earned an opportunity to be out here on the field running, getting after the quarterback. And then, of course, he, uh, you know, that was, I believe, right after the, the strip sack. But they were even able to talk about how much they knew about how Gibson deserved to be out there. And if that and if the bad broadcast teams know that, maybe it's time we start talking about giving Gibson some more reps. Right. I mean, we we talked about that anyway last week, right on on. I think yep. this show and I talked about it on 
uh, football and other F words is that right now, Harold Landry, you're doing more harm than good, not only to Harold Landry, but to your entire defense and team. Um, you are doing more harm than good by keeping him out there all the time. And you have players that you could put out there. Now, I, I, I put that tweet out there or that X out there saying that, you know, saying that, you know, kind of it's been telling me you got to put Travis Gibson out there. Um, you know, he played uh, three defensive snaps, by the way, three. And one of them was a strip sack. It's a good percentage. That's a good percentage. Maybe he should be eating into Rashad Weaver or take yeah. away some Harold Landry reps. He, I've thought that should be the case for a long time now. And you know players who he could replace? Chance Campbell, Monty Rice, do they really need them on special teams? Do they really need all these line inside linebackers on special teams? There's got to be someone that can be replaced to make room for Travis Gibson in these situations. And to me, Travis Gibson is a must find a way to get on the field kind of guy. And if that's at the detriment of Harold Landry's snap count, that is the way to go. If that's at the detriment of Rashad Weaver's snap count, that is the way to go. Rashad Weaver is a nice player. He is an average edge defender. Travis Gibson is better than better than Rashad Weaver, and Travis Gibson is better than this version of Harold Landry that we're seeing when it comes to rushing the passer. Brings me right to my next question. What's real? What's not? Jack Gibbons. Oh, not real. I'm not believing in Jack. This is, a, this is he's he's at his uh four weeks, uh end of his four weeks Dylan Cole uh timeline. So that means that he's gonna start giving a big place here soon. Okay. All right. I'm just I, I'm not I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you, but uh, a lot of people do have have even people of uh, high caliber analysis have have cited that Jack Gibby may be a dude and maybe <laughs> is, but I'm just not sure. He's 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 rangy and lengthy. I'm not I just uh, I, I need to see it for all 17 before I start before I start agreeing. But much like Nis Nick Westbrook Kina, he's in the right place at the right time. Uh, he doesn't always make the play, but he's in the right place at the right time. Um, uh, here's here's also some again sinkers beverages, Kingston Group. We got to move along here because there's still a few more I've got to ask you, uh, and we're getting late in the show. Uh, national disrespect, truth or a lie? Uh, NFL Network red zone ticker the entire day after the end of the game. Quote: Titans dominate in first win of season. I I that stuff doesn't bother me normally. I don't care. Me. I don't care individually as a person. You know it, it, it bothers me more that that person has a job at the NFL that I could it, easily do. That's what bothers me more. What like bothers, that, that's a job that that so that guy should get fired. Whoever that is, guy, girl, whatever, should get fired. That person out the door, and they should just hire me because I can know I know what all these records are, and that's you. Li- you are at the NFL Network, which is like the literal database for all things NFL. I am not offended. As a Nashvillian, I don't think Titans fans should be offended as Titans fans, even though that's baked into this individual's mistake. I am offended as a person in the media. I am offended as a person who puts content on the air. Do we make mistakes? Do we misspell things in tweets? Do we misuse words and and mispronounce things all the time? Of course we do. Absolutely. No one is infallible. We're all human. But you cannot for hours have a fact error that is the most basic of all fact errors listed on your lower your lower third looping for hours on end. It just is unacceptable. Like if I am the boss and the producer 
And the machine that does that is called the Chiron. And the Chiron operator inject it puts up all the different graphics and all the different stuff. Someone's in charge of that. <laughs> and, and and it's not just one person. There are two or three layers of people that had to get through that didn't occur to them to say, wait a second, the Titans beat the Chargers two weeks ago. Yeah. So yeah. It, that it's not as a t- I know Titans fans probably are like, oh, that's disrespectful. And that's fine. That's part of the reason why they didn't catch it. But the real it, it doesn't matter if it's the Cowboys or the Packers or the Yankees or the or Notre Dame or Alabama or, you know, Centennial High School. It, it should you you should get it correct. You should yeah. get it right. And that is that 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 bothers me. So <laughs> uh, that's for real. The disrespect is is very real. All right. Um, ten straight games without allowing a, a team get to 100 yards. Uh, ten, 20 straight games. They did not allow an individual to get to 100 yards. Uh, 173 yards rushing. We haven't really said much about Derrick Henry, but he was a huge part of the offense, of course. Uh, that is only the only time they have rushed for more than 173 yards as a team in the last two seasons, both last year against Houston. So it is the most rushing yards by the Tennessee Titans in a non-Houston game in over two seasons. Uh, so I just want to point that out. Derrick Henry, of course, I think the one thing I want to add to the to this conversation, because I think on Thursday I'm going to ask you, I think it's time to ask you a question about Derrick Henry long-term. And it's not about trading him. It's not about any of that stuff. I've got a, I think there's a legit discussion to be had. 8,620 yards rushing, 80 touchdowns, only six players in NFL history have ever done that. 8,080 in their first uh, eight seasons. Okay, now he, say how many players have done that. Uh, he is the sixth He's player. 22nd. That is that is incorrect. Someone you you whoever who it's because the, the Titans the, have been putting that out. Yeah. So are they saying how many yards? That you have to have over eight thousand yards rushing and over eighty yeah. rushing touchdowns in your first eight seasons. That is incorrect. It's twenty two. Oh, uh, in your first eight seasons. In your first eight seasons. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'll check yeah. that then. Well, it's it was put out by the Titans like two weeks yeah. ago and they keep putting it out because we we've been watching for it for weeks well someone someone had said that it was a to z it said it was 22 and and it no, is 22 but it may the eight seasons may be the qualifier it's the it's the there's only five players prior to derrick henry who have gotten to eight thousand yards rushing and 80 touch which basically is saying on average you are getting a thousand yards and 10 touchdowns rushing every year of your career for the first eight years of your your career and which is Un- unbelievable consistency. Now, Derek's were a little bit more up and down, right, with the 2,000 plus and and all that stuff. Uh, he passes Earl Campbell, of course, for number two all time in franchise history. He needs 1,389 yards to get to Eddie George for number one all time in Titans history. So it's probably not happening this year, but it's not that crazy for him to get to. I guess it would be what uh, 13 games, 1389 yeah. behind this offensive line. Probably not, but to average 100 yards a game is not out of the question for Derrick Henry. So um, it's he'd have to have a couple of big of the he'd need a couple of those like 280 spots, <laughs> like where he goes for like 273 <laughs> against against somebody. Um, but I just we haven't touched on Derrick Henry much today, and I thought we'd wrap up with some of the historical numbers there for him. He, he does look a little bit, um, what's the right word, like more lumbering. All season, he's looked like that. He looks like a guy who's getting to 30 years old and 1,500 carries and all that stuff. It doesn't mean he still can't do it. And uh, yeah. he, he showed it on he showed it on Sunday for sure. Yeah, for sure. All right. Anything else? He, pretty good. he is uh, 30, um, he's 39th, by the way. He's a lie right now. Christian Fulton's a lie. I would say Roger uh-huh. McCurry's 
performance yesterday was a lie. Sean Murphy Bunton was par for the course. I, w- I would say that McCreary is better than what he showed yesterday. And then Chris Fulton is probably worse than what he showed yesterday. So that's just kind of where I'm at. Like, I'm not buying in to this uh, pass defense quite yet as far as the cornerbacks and defensive backs are concerned. Okay. Uh, Pretty Boy Lifshitz, it's trivia for next show. The Titans have the league active leading rusher and receiver. I'm assuming Hopkins and Henry in terms of yards there. Who was the last team to roster both? I assume it's something very similar to the Titans in which like a receiver for like the Jets played for like with Curtis Martin or something, you know, yeah. or like or something like that. I don't know. Pretty Boy, if you want to go ahead and tell us, we can we'll just we'll just put it on the show. It'd be like Randy Moss and maybe Chris Johnson. Was Randy Moss and Chris Johnson at the same time? Uh, for the Titans? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. It, it was definitely not the Titans. He's saying what was the last team to roster both anywhere in the NFL. And I'm assuming right. it's I'm assuming it's Frank Gore or Curtis Martin. Like one or Adrian yeah. Peterson, maybe. Adrian Peterson with somebody. Uh, like it's one of those where like the, the receiver or the running back was late in their career and had like twelve thousand yards rushing yeah. and wouldn't that be Randy Moss? I mean that I mean, Moss was certainly the leader. I assume he can't he was... even find the info. Who's asking this trivia question? You don't even know the answer. I think he was asking us to dig. I think I that's what he's digging. asking. That's Go a, dig that's yourself. A, I would be happy to. That's a nice. Uh, Free boy nice Lipschitz needs to spend a little bit of money out of his wallet to get buy some uh, PFF uh, elite or some stat head <laughs> and quit asking us to do it. He says, "I have no idea. I'm interested myself. Someone asked me. <laughs> All right, I'll I'll see if I can figure it out. I would say check." Adrian Peterson, Frank Gore, Curtis Martin. I would say check those three first and look at who they've played with in the last uh, in the last like five, ten years or so. Uh, and so there you go. All right. Big question about Derrick Henry coming up on Thursday. We'll talk SEC. No time today on the show to talk that because we got so much Titan stuff to get and it was to. A, but look, let's just say something real quick. What weekend. a great weekend of SEC. And I mean, I don't know if the SEC is going to have a cha- I don't think an SEC team is going to win the championship. Uh, Georgia, I think Georgia will get into the playoff, but if they I, do, it's not going to be pretty when they get I, there. I think it's here's here's okay. Here's my tease for Thursday. I think it's pretty clear that there's only one team from the SEC getting into the playoff, which is totally fine. There's really good teams in other conferences this year, and that's okay. I would be very, very careful about saying negative things about Alabama. I would be very. I'm with you. This defense is looking pretty good. I'm with you. I think Jalen Milrow was suspended for the South Florida game quietly, Uh, and the defense is going to get better. The running game looks like the the, better. That run game looking pretty good, especially with Jalen. Well, Jalen Milrow scored that first touchdown, and uh, Lauren goes. Who the hell is that? She you know she watched the Alabama Texas game with me. She it's goes, "Who Mike- the hell is that?" I was like that's Jalen Milrow. That that is the quarterback. She goes, "They're finally getting him to run the ball." And I'm like, "He looks like is it. he is not as good as this guy, but he absolutely looks like him. He absolutely plays exactly like Michael Vick. No yeah. question. Uh, doesn't mean he's as all right. Good, next, let's not next, go crazy. This Thursday we're talking about Thursday. how you said Jalen Milrow is Michael Vick. <laughs> <laughs> they get Tennessee and LSU at home." And they've already beaten Ole Miss fairly easily. Yeah, I would say, well, fairly mm. easily in the second half. That first half was a little, little rough. They gave up a touchdown on the first drive and didn't give up another touchdown the rest yeah. of the game. Yeah, the defense, is, defense is stout. Defense is legit, boys. Defense is legit. Bama is only going to get better. 
Tune in on Thursday I'm for more SEC you. talk. But Nick Saban <laughs> was just tricking everybody. <laughs> He's too nice. He's too He's nice. Too you know who's really nice? Sinkers Beverages and the Kingston Group. Uh, go check them both out. Two locally owned uh, companies here in Nashville that support local businesses and shows like this one and football and other efforts. Of course, check out that episode this week with Mike Herndon. I'm sure you guys will give him a lot, hard time about all his MPF love. And, uh, of course, make sure you check out stackintheinbox.com as well. All right, for Zach, I am Braden. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you on Thursday.